0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three and One, who has come in order to give us a security that tells us that we need not be afraid. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, ticky phobia. That is the, uh, the, the, the Latin name, the, the name, the scientific name for the fear of failure. And the fear of failure is this interesting fear that uh, pretty much everybody has at one level or another, and and it's this fear that we have that that embraces the idea that, well, when we start to do something, that we're actually running a risk. We're we're running a risk that um, what happens when we start to do something is that, oh, that might not go right. We might actually uh, not be able to uh, get that thing done, whatever that might be, and so you know, uh, when when you're Going in for studying for a test, and, and you, you start to study, and, and you start to get this sense of well, I might fail. I, I, I might fail, and and I might not be studying the right thing. I might not be understanding what it is that I'm supposed to study. Uh, maybe I'm even studying from the wrong book. I had that moment when I was in math class in uh, high school, and and uh, what happened there was I had a little bit of a moment where I was sick and. I, I was sick for a little while during uh, during high school for about a week, and I already wasn't real great at math anyway. A- and so I, I started to say, okay, well, I'm, I'm sick for about a week, but I, I've got the book. I, I know what I can do. Um, and so I, I just went through my book, even though I was sick, uh, went through my book and, and started studying from the book and, and started figuring out, okay, this is the way that this math stuff goes. Well, uh, when I got back, there was a test, and I, I was like, okay, well, I think I've got this. I, I think I, I know this, you know, in kind of enough to get a C. Um, uh, which is really, you know, sort of where I was aiming at, as a uh, math student in high school. A- and I, I got my paper back, and I got an F. And I was like, oh, man, bummer. Um, And I started to look at uh, the notes that my teacher had left me. And uh, the the thing about it was I I just started getting more incensed and more incensed all the time because I I actually got the right answers. I just had not done it in the way (laughs) that the teacher wanted me to do it. To which I was like, this is wrong. <laughs> this is terrible. I got the right answer, lady. And so I went and I talked and, and I said, hey, look, I, I got the right answer. And I did this from studying the book. And she said, well, I wanted you to do it this way. I wanted you to do it the way that I taught, to which I said, I was gone. And so uh, there was something that didn't feel right there, and and it got me into this moment of this sort of fear of failure in math uh, that that I, you know, had before probably, but had even got ramped up even more after that, And uh, because I was always afraid that not only was I not going to get the right answer some of the time, but that I was going to even do it in the wrong way, And, and that even if I got the right answer, that sometimes if I did it in the wrong way, that that even wouldn't be good enough. Well, that's kind of how we approach the law of God sometimes yeah the law of god this thing that is uh, elucidated in front of us in the 10 commandments that that christian read there that you know, we we've got this law of god this, this sort of 10 things 10 words is is the way that the old testament really talks about that and, and these 10 things that uh, we go okay these are things that god really cares about uh, for us and they really have more to do with us than they do in a lot of ways with him because Uh, God is perfect by himself. God doesn't need rules because, well, he's perfect. He doesn't need rules. But we need rules. And so God, in watching humanity, watching the children of Israel, he says, okay, I've seen the things that you do wrong and these are the things that you need explicitly stated before you. And, and so we, we get these Ten commandment things, and we get these things that we go, okay, these are the things that are the major subject headings for us to uh, be looking at in terms of our personal righteousness, in terms of our sense of, okay, this is how I live a good life. And the problem there is that a lot of times we can do those things, but we can do them from the wrong perspective. We, you know, we, we can fulfill the Ten Commandments, but we can fulfill them in the wrong way. We can fulfill them out of an a, a overzealous fear of God. And that's one of the ways that, that we kind of get the Ten Commandments wrong. We we go, well, if I don't do these Ten Commandments, then God is going to send me to hell. And, and in that case, that's actually the wrong way to look at the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments are there for God's people, God's people that he has said, you are mine. That is why they start off with this uh, just sort of outrageous commandment that you shall have no other gods before me. And so you know who these commands are for. These commands are for the people that say, you are my God. Because if we were just, you know, sort of run-of-the-mill pagans, well, that first commandment, we would already be like, I'm out. Yeah, you know, you're not my God, so I'm, I'm not going to do these things. And so in in that sense, these are not meant to be sort of terrifying in, in the sense that, that we go, oh, okay, I'm afraid of of where this will land me. But rather, we are supposed to approach these things as baptized children of God going, these are bad things. These these are things that, yes, if I continue to do them, I, I would probably get thrown out of the family at some level, or I'd probably actually end up leaving the family on my own. But these things, much more, are meant to be sort of ways that we go, oh, we don't really understand how to do this on our own. And so we need God to be clear with us. We need God to give us clear rules, clear uh, dividing lines about, okay, this is what we do. This is what we don't do. This is who our God is, and this is how we treat him. This is who our neighbor is, and this is how we treat that person. And that, that is what then the Ten Commandments are for. But we can do them In ways that are wrong. We can even do them in terms of our own self righteousness. So instead of out of this undue fear of God, what we can do is we can not fear God enough. And we can say, well, okay, God, I don't really need you now that I've got your Ten Commandments. Thank you very much for that. I'm going to run on these all by myself. And, and that is another way that we get this all wrong, just like I was getting the math stuff wrong, uh, not doing it the correct way. Uh, th- that's a way that we can do this all wrong. God does not intend for us to take his Ten Commandments and divorce him because now we have the Ten Commandments. God does not inta- intend for us to take this picture of righteousness and go, thank you so much, now I don't need to talk to you anymore. Now I don't need to pray to you anymore. Now I don't need anything from you anymore. Now that I have this law stuff. And that, unfortunately, is another way that we get the Ten Commandments wrong, is that we, we get these Ten Commandments wrong because we say, okay, well, God, I don't want to burden you. You know, I, I don't want to burden you. And, and so, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to live as best as I can and that way we, ha- we, you know, we, we don't have that much interaction with each other, and that way I'm not burdening you. To which God says, that's cute, um, uh, but I'm God and you're a human being. And so uh, don't worry, you're not a burden to me. And so we get it wrong in terms of our execution, in terms of our intent, in terms of how we're doing this which then rockets us fast forward by, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years into the New Testament, where uh, from the, the outside, everybody is getting the answer to the equation right. So Jesus is in, the, in Jerusalem at the Passover, and what is very common during that time is that people are showing up, and they're showing up, ready to sacrifice, and that's what they're supposed to do. They're recognizing, I sinned, and so because of my sin, I need to go, and I need to go and uh, offer sacrifices in order to do certain things, and and in order to receive forgiveness, in order to memorialize certain things, that all of these things are correct. But the problem is that, that it's coming about this uh, in a way that is cold, and in a way that is it's sort of passionless and definitely in a way that's just kind of consumeristic with God. It's, it's saying, you know, God, I'm, I'm going to purchase this forgiveness from you. I, I'm going to do this not really as a sacrifice, but more as a payment. Yeah, and, and there's a difference between those two things that, you know, a sacrifice is something that you do recognizing that that thing that is sacrificed Well, that is only a token of what could have happened to you. That's what a sacrifice is. A payment, on the other hand, is something that says, this is something that alleviates me from all responsibility of talking to you anymore about this for a certain given period of time. And so when I pay my bill to Comcast, what I'm saying is I don't want to talk to you for the next month unless I have a problem, and I will. But there's that kind of difference there, and that kind of difference is what Jesus is pointing out as he walks into the temple and as he sees what's going on, that there's this consumeristic, transactional thing that's happening with God's law, that people have turned God's law from being something that is about a relationship with God into something that is the exact opposite of that, into something that is, uh, God, I need to do these things with you so that I, I, I can keep myself from a relationship with you. Because by the way, you know, God, you're kind of hard to have a relationship with every now and again. And, and that is because you are holy. And you are bigger than me. And you are beyond me. And all of the things that the psalm that we read for today talks about. That, God, you are way too big for me. And so what I really want to do with the law most of the time is I just want to push you away. Because in that, when I recognize that you have this bigness, have this holiness, have this otherness about you. Well, what I want to do with that is that I want to push away. I want to push away from you because I'm afraid that I'm going to fail. Because I'm afraid that there's just too much risk there. That this relationship is going to be something where I try to be seeking after you, where I try to be sacrificing to you, where I try to be doing all of these things. But what I find is that I'm just left with failure. I I think so often this is why we hate the law so much. Why we hate the law of God, which is something that we're not supposed to do. I mean, if you read that psalm again... If you read that psalm, it doesn't look like what you're supposed to do is hate the law. If you read the Ten Commandments, God doesn't seem to be giving you those things so that you can hate them. But so often, our embracing of the law ends up looking like, well, God, I just don't want you to call me out on stuff. I don't want you to call me out on my failure that is almost inevitable. Because I'm afraid that that's going to break my relationship with you. I'm afraid that you're going to come into my life with a braided cord of a whip. That you're, you're going to come into my life and you're going to find a way to do violence to me. There's this interesting moment in, in that, that thing about Jesus braiding a cord of whips is that uh, in the temple courts where Jesus was at the time, they, there was a no weapons policy. You, you couldn't bring in a stick. You couldn't bring in um, something that would have been considered a weapon. And so what Jesus had to do was he had to make one. He had to actually literally braid a whip so that he could go and turn over the tables and, and whip people and get people out of there. And we're afraid that that is what it's going to look like when we fail him. When we break that one commandment that we know that we have a hard time not breaking. Or when we break that commandment that we've never broken before, but all of a sudden we recognize, yeah, I did that too. We get into this fear of failure. But the amazing thing is that God knows that we're going to fail. God's not surprised by our failure. Instead, God said, "I'm, I'm sending you my son so that he can fix your failure. So that he can be the one who earns the grade for you so that you can just go about doing things that are good. And that's the beauty of the law. And the beauty of the law can never be beautiful without Jesus, because the law without Jesus, the law without that relationship is a law that gets us into these moments where we're either doing things out of intense fear of God or we're doing things because we want to push God out. But when we embrace Jesus with the law, what we find is that, well, this intense fear of God, well, that starts to come down because we know that God doesn't hate us. He sent his only son to us so that he could endure the punishment for us. And so that we don't have to fear Him. And this fear of, of having a relationship with Him starts to go down as well. Because we recognize that as we come to God and we start to do things, that His expectations for us are not success. But that His expectation for us is simply being. And that's a real word of gospel. That Jesus came into our world so that we wouldn't have to worry about performance. But so that we could worry just simply about being. I mean, it's that moment, if you've ever been in a romantic relationship, when you you sort of stop worrying about about impressing the other person. It doesn't mean that you're not impressive to that person anymore. It just means that you're not worrying about it anymore. And so because of that, you can start to be more concerned about simply being with them. That's the moment that we're invited into. A moment in which that fear of failure is gone a moment in which we recognize that Jesus has committed to us in such a powerful way that he has died on the cross for us so that we would know that there would be nothing that stands in between us and God, not even our failure. And so may you this week do things in which you might fail. And may you know that in those things and in the things in which you succeed, God simply cares about you being with him for eternity. Amen.